Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Jim Harnish. He's a retired United Methodist pastor who spent a good portion of his career at Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa, Florida, and he's also an author. He joins us today to talk about the relationship between the political climate in the United States and the pulpit. Here's a conversation that maybe you've been avoiding, but we need to have about politics and preaching. Well, our guest today is Reverend Jim Harnish. He is an author and a retired United Methodist pastor. He spent a good portion of his career at Hyde Park United Methodist Church in Tampa. And for those that have been with us from the very beginning, that church may sound familiar because their current pastor, Reverend McGray DeVega, was our first guest on the podcast. And and during that conversation, we mentioned Jim, and so I'm so excited to have him here today. Jim, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you. Well, for those that don't know you as well as I do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry career and what you're up to today? Sure, gladly. I am a happily married guy uh, looking at uh, heading toward our 47th wedding anniversary. Wow, congratulations. Thanks. And uh, we have two daughters. Uh, one and her husband live in Orlando, where three of our grandchildren are. And the other and her husband are in Charleston, South Carolina, with two of our grandchildren. And uh, they are a pretty important part of my life in uh, retirement, Uh, which my wife says that I flunked retirement. (laughs) That I, but the difference is that I, I get to do what I want to do and what I enjoy doing and uh, don't have to do anything that I don't really feel called to do, and that feels good. So I have been doing some writing and uh, now and then some teaching or workshop leadership, a little bit of preaching. And then, uh, Dan, as you will remember, I really enjoy working with the Institute of Preaching through uh, Duke Divinity School. So I have enough uh, to keep me out of trouble, but also enough freedom to enjoy being uh, in this retired category. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that are uh, fans of this podcast and have come along with us on the journey, Jim is one of the people that uh, is most directly responsible for the existence of this podcast because that Institute of Preaching experience, this year-long experience, was so formative in on me and in my life and in my ministry and the kinds of conversations that we had. That we we just got we just talked about preaching together as a group of both facilitators and uh, clergy and colleagues and. And that, that those conversations gave birth to this podcast. So, Jim, I am so grateful for the role that you had in getting this podcast off the ground. Well, thank you for that, Dan. I'm, I'm not sure I deserve it. Uh, you brought so much good stuff into the Institute that, uh, that your participation with the other preachers was a great gift to all of us. So I'm uh, hopeful that uh, your ministry continues in this way. Well, thank you. Thank you. And we like to start with a very general question, and that's your philosophy or approach to preaching in general. So if you had a, a mission statement or maybe a set of guiding principles that you use throughout your preaching career and continue to use as you teach and preach today, what might some of those be? Well, I think, uh, and these are not necessarily in an order of importance, but one is to be deeply alive to Scripture and to find ways to bring Scripture uh, to life in the lives of the people in the congregation. Another is to uh, be open to the way the Spirit often surprisingly uses 
our life together in a local congregation to uh, use preaching in ways that draw people into discipleship, that encourage and build them up along the way, and that builds up the church. Uh, For me, preaching is a part of uh, the ministry of leadership in the life of the church. And the, um, the good news is that sometimes the Spirit surprises us in the way, uh, the way God uses that. Uh, so I enjoy the work, and it's been my calling, and I wouldn't uh, trade the opportunity to preach uh, the gospel for anything else in the world. Wonderful. Well, we are diving into the hot topic today of politics and preaching, and I have a sneaking suspicion with how divisive the the presidential campaign and election was that no matter what the results uh, were or would have been, this would be an important and sensitive topic. But it does seem like we live in somewhat of a unique moment. I'm I'm still relatively young. I'm 33 years old. Uh, this is a unique moment culturally for me. I know my, my folks and some of my uh, older colleagues have talked about different times uh, in the political climate in the United States. But for me, this is a very unique time and experience. And, and I want to start by also acknowledging that there's a segment of preachers out there, and so no doubt there are some members of our audience who feel that politics should never be a part of preaching or the worship service, at least explicitly. And so I, I get the sneaking suspicion that that's that's not your approach or your feelings. And so how do you understand the interaction, if any, between preaching and politics? Well, I think my first word would be that if you think preaching and politics never go together, you need to read the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) There's just a whole lot in Scripture that, if we're faithful to Scripture, is going to challenge us to find the way that the written Word becomes a living Word, not only in our personal lives and not only in the life of the congregation— but in the life of the nation and the world of which we're part. So my fundamental conviction is that a part of our calling as preachers is to speak truth to power. It is to bear witness to God's overarching purpose, to God's kingdom coming among us, and to do it in a way that uh, connects with whatever is going on in the world as we find it. The challenge is that uh, it becomes difficult for people to hear. They become, Mm. we all become, so conditioned by our own assumptions that we sort of uh, have antenna that help us resist any word that we don't already agree with. And I think that is really the tough issue in this time. We, uh, we've become so uh, polarized in our culture. People receive their news from news sources that already agree with them and reinforce their convictions. And we're skeptical about other sources that don't already sound like something we uh, assume to be true. So I think the first challenge for us as preachers is to be deeply faithful to Scripture, to really live in it and reflect on it and prayerfully work with it so that anything that we say about the political culture in which we live is not simply a projection 
of our own conviction, but is in fact a word that grows out of the depth of Scripture. I remember uh, Will Willimon saying something to the effect that if somebody didn't like what he preached about a certain topic, his response was, well, take it up with Jesus. <laughs> and I think that sort of sets the tone that there does need to be a sense in which we are not here proclaiming our own biases or our own party or convictions. We are here to speak deeply out of Scripture. In the uh, Institute of Preaching, the session that we just completed last week, uh, Dan, as you remember, we have a panel with mm-hmm. three folks whose careers are in the communications business, and they're also faithful church members who listen to their pastors preach every Sunday morning. We spent some significant time discussing this topic, and um, the, the two men on the panel offered slightly different approaches, but I think together they spoke the truth. If you remember uh, Darren, who was the news director at a local TV mm-hmm. station and now is in a major communications corporation, Darren said, preachers, you need to call the balls and strikes. You need to name truth and falsehood when you see it. That's your role. Mm. Uh, then Pete, who spent his career with uh, Clear Channel Communications in the radio business, Pete said, well, I don't want to hear a sermon that is primarily about a political theme. He said, if you're preaching on Scripture and it points in that direction, then I can hear you. But I'm not interested in going to church to hear a sermon that is uh, totally on politics. I think the two of them hit it just about right. I think we are called to speak truth as deeply as we can and as deeply as we understand it. And we're called to speak out of Scripture and not simply uh, orate about politics. Mm. The challenge, I think, for us is that today we have this uh, very strong, very conservative religious right perspective that says it's speaking out of Scripture and quotes Scripture, but I got to say, they're reading Scripture very differently than I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't find I don't find anything in Franklin Graham that that fits my understanding of Scripture. So sure. uh, that's part of the challenge that we have to that we have to face. One other factor is that we have to know our congregation and be sensitive to the brothers and sisters for whom we are a pastor. Mm. And I think we have to speak out of a pastoral heart. So I think it's really important for us to live in the gifts of the Spirit, of uh, gentleness, peace, kindness, that we speak out of a warm heart and not out of a uh, an angry or vindictive mood, and that we keep in touch with our people. I'm uh, grateful that you know, at Hyde Park, I had folks who 
uh, were Democrats and folks who were Republicans. We had folks who were liberal and folks who were conservative. And I tried to be accountable to both of them. Now, when somebody would say to me, Jim, are you a liberal or conservative? My standard answer was, I can't find those terms in the Bible. Mm. And I discovered that when I try to be faithful to Jesus, some conservatives are going to think that I'm liberal, <laughs> and some liberals are going to think I'm conservative. Yeah. And if I keep both of them unhappy, I might be right where I belong. That's wonderful. And th- there is so much in there, so we'll start to walk through some of your answer and unpack it. But one of the first things that you said is is being rooted uh, and grounded in Scripture, and even in your first answer, being alive to Scripture and being interested in Scripture. Because in this world of fake news and, and reading where we want, if we are coming uh, to the pulpit loaded down with a bunch of sermon points, either from the New York Times or Breitbart— uh, Easily, you know, parts of our congregation will shut down because we can just sort of, you know, reject things out of hand based on its sourcing. And and so, when you read the scriptures, like I said, you're you're retired now, and and so you were not actively leading a congregation during the campaign uh, or in this time after the election. If you were a preacher right now leading a congregation and you were reading um, scripture in preparation for sermons, would you be looking for parallels, uh, sort of that image of the preacher that goes into the pulpit with the, you know, the Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other? Would you be actively looking for parallels in scripture with what's going on, or would you sort of wait for the Spirit to nudge you in that direction? I know that's a softball question, but I'll, I'll leave it there for I you. Think it has to be, I think it has to be both. We read the Scripture in the context of what we're experiencing, and by doing that, we listen for the way the Spirit uh, speaks to us in that time. I, frankly, I think this is one point at which the lectionary can be very helpful. Mm. Now, I'm not one of those people that thinks the lectionary was inspired before the Bible was. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a helpful tool, and it's particularly helpful in times like these. For instance, the lectionary during Epiphany has been in the Sermon on the Mount. Right. Well, how do you preach the Sermon on the Mount and not find some way in which it speaks to uh, some of the dishonesty that is so rampant among us, to some of the the uh, lack of forgiveness, to the call to be peacemakers, to the needs of the poor. And uh, it can be convenient to say, you know, I didn't choose this text for today. Right. It was given to me. And I remember uh, back uh, during the run-up to the war in Iraq, we were in the same cycle. We were in the Gospel of Matthew. And I remember that following 9-11, the Old Testament readings were in Jeremiah, for heaven's sake. It, it was as if we were assigned scripture that spoke to our present time. Mm. So I, I, I would not go farming scripture to find something that fits what I want to say but I would listen to it uh, in the context of, um, of the time and what we're experiencing. Yeah, there was a, 
uh, commentary piece on a Baptist news site, and we'll link to it in the show notes, but a gentleman named Reverend Brett Younger wrote this piece lamenting how hard President Trump has made it for preachers to preach uh, in this season, especially during Epiphany, immediately around and after the inauguration. Uh, and, and there's this weird phenomenon developing where if you paint a picture of a welcoming and inclusive community, whether you're talking about the church community or the United States as a country, it's seen as this implicit criticism of President Trump. It's odd how we can we can sort of take these images and they and they are they just automatically become one way or another. Do you feel like that's something that preachers need to be sensitive to, especially if there are folks that are uh, sympathetic to or even supportive of the president and their congregation? Yes, but I mean, I think always we need to be sensitive to our people, to where they are. But we are not uh, appointed or called to be uh, the caregivers that reinforce people's convictions. Uh, Sometimes we're called to challenge that. And the old line about sometimes the Bible comforts our afflictions, and sometimes it afflicts the comfortable. Mm. So I think a part of it, too, is we need to walk that balance. For instance, if, if the sermon one week is on, Paul's passage about tearing down the divided wall in Ephesians, then it's a pretty natural, or if if the Old Testament is about welcoming the immigrant, it's pretty hard not to say, brothers and sisters, we have a challenge with this right now. How are we going to respond to this word? How does it speak to us? And I think we can do that without just bold-faced naming Trump but we can do it in a way that speaks to people's uh, wrestling with Scripture. Mm-hmm. So I think the, that, that, too, is a part of the sensitivity. Um, so I think we can say a lot of things indirectly and then trust the Spirit to apply it to people's lives and to their convictions. I also think there are some things we say in the pulpit that, that are better said in other settings, hmm. because people don't have a chance for feedback on Sunday morning. Now, you get it. I mean, <laughs> at right. the door right. or on email or whatever, but there are some things that I would raise in a Sunday school class or in a committee meeting or in my men's group that I might go farther with than I might go in the pulpit simply because I know that I'm in a setting where those people can push back at me if they want to. Yeah. So I think we need to see this in the context of all the ways that we invite people to join us. Maybe that's another point. I think I think one of the things we can do in preaching is to say, folks, we're in this together. Yeah. And be honest about about how I see it, how this speaks to me. And I, I want to hear how this speaks to you, that we as uh, the, the church are in this struggle together to find out what it means to be faithful to the kingdom of God uh, in the kingdoms, in among the kingdoms of this world. I, yeah, I think our personal relationship with folks and, and the willingness to listen to their point of view can make such 
can can open so many doors. Uh, and and you're right. I think in sometimes in the sermon setting, it can seem like a lecture. You know, it can seem like I am coming down and instructing you how to think and how to believe. But let's say that you've got the person in the congregation who is a big fan and follower of Franklin Graham, and who sees Franklin Graham say things like, you know, heaven has a has a wall and a gate as well. Why is it wrong for the country to have it? And it's easy to just snap back and say, well, you know, in Scripture that gate is open uh, at all times. But how would how would you begin to to work through, uh, you know, something like that with a member of your congregation? Mm-hmm. Carefully, and and do some listening. But I think I've made lots of mistakes on this. I mean, there have been people that I had to go and ask their forgiveness because I just pushed too hard in my conversation with them. I think mm. the good news is we believe in grace, and we believe there's grace enough to go around to all of us. I don't think I have to go looking for it, but when someone wants to engage the conversation, I'll try to listen to where they're coming from because oftentimes their response and their perspective grows out of something that's going on in their life. And so I would start by trying to listen to, well, well, tell me more about how you see this, what's your perspective on this? And then it's always better in conversation to ask a question than it is to come down with a declaration like, well, help me understand how you reconcile that with what you've been reading in your Disciple Bible study group. Mm. Tell me how that fits together for you. And sort of probe the conversation that way, rather than coming on with a full-court press. (laughs) Yeah. One of my questions for you, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, you feel like you're doing your job if you've got both conservatives and liberals slightly frustrated with you at times. But if for, for those out there who are leading congregations who are maybe... Uh, fairly similar, uh, maybe ideologically speaking, if the congregation is overwhelmingly conservative or overwhelmingly progressive or overwhelmingly somewhere in the middle, and it also happens to line up with the perspective of the pastor, do you think that there is a responsibility we have to um, to present at least the points of view of of the other side, even if we don't necessarily endorse it? Do you think that that's part of helping people learn to, to respect the other side? Or or do you think you just kind of keep focusing on what everybody in the room happens to believe is true at the moment? Well, I think it's always good in every area to listen for the way the gospel is going to challenge us and not just become too comfortable with where we are. And so I think I think we need to acknowledge that Equally faithful Christians may see some of these things differently. And I think there are points at which there do come Bonhoeffer moments when we're called to be painfully clear about some particular need or issue. I think the danger in that is whatever is important to me, I might assume is the most important thing in the world. So I think we've always got to be sensitive, be careful about that, and not just run off on every tangent. But um, I I also think some of that, again, some of it is not necessarily uh, in a preaching context. As you were speaking, I remembered uh, James Howell at um, 
Myers Park Church in Charlotte, did a beautiful forum on uh, human sexuality in which he described the conservative reading of Scripture, the progressive reading of Scripture. He laid out the way the, the conversation seems to have been going and came close to saying, this is where I am on this. I want you to know how I see this, but there's room for you in this church. We tried to do that at Hyde Park, and in some places along the way, we were very successful. We were able to say, we're bound together by the things that are at the center of our life, the gospel itself, uh, the creed, the mission of the church, and we allow space around that uh, center for faithful disciples to be at different places. Mm. Um, that for folks who are uh, of a fundamentalist conviction, that's simply not something they can do, mm. because the very nature of fundamentalism is to say, this is it, and there isn't room for that kind of, of uh, openness to other people. Um, and so I think that's why there are uh, fundamentalist congregations for folks who need to be in a place where everybody sees it the same way. Uh, which, by the way, fundamentalists exist on both ends sure. of the theological sure. continuum. I've, I've known liberal fundamentalists as well as conservative fundamentalists, and uh, my problem is there's often, often not enough love in there. Mm. And at the center is loving God and loving one another. So I think some of this comes to how we live in Christ-like love together. Yeah, recently I I preached on the fruit of the Spirit, and we talked about how, you know, if you want to grow oranges, you plant an orange seed. And if you want to grow apples, you plant an apple seed, and it grows into a tree that then produces fruit. And 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 I, I I think sometimes we, as simple as that is, I think sometimes we forget it and we don't pay attention necessarily to the types of seeds that we're planting, and then we're shocked by the fruit that we're harvesting. Are are there some maybe practices or or, or techniques or or things that you would recommend that preachers can do that might help plant the seeds for unity, either within their congregation or or uh, even in some of the wider discussions and culture, whether it's our, you know, denominations or the wider political culture? Are there any practices that, that could help plant the seeds of, of love and understanding and unity? Well, I think one of them is clearly a really thoughtful Bible study and spending time reflecting on what the scriptures have to say, for instance, about the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, do our lives demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, so on. So one is uh, reflection on scripture. I think another is clarity of our common mission, that if a congregation has a clear sense of its own unique mission and its calling and who God is calling that church to be, and I think there's a better chance that people who share that common mission can uh, relate to each other with, uh, with love uh, when they differ. Uh, my observation is where congregations are foggy or unclear about their mission, 
then you end up with everybody fighting for their own little place of mm. of understanding or for their own turf. Mm-hmm. But um, now I would say in part that's part of a Hyde Park story and you only have to die. Uh, we spent two years in a really intense process to develop what we believed was God's mission for that church. And along the way, since you can't be everything to everybody, there were people who said, well, if that's who we're going to become, this is not the place for me. And they needed to go find another congregation to live and serve in. I think that's okay. I mean, the kingdom of God is bigger than any one corner of uh, Absolutely. So yeah. I think folks need to be in the place where they feel they can grow and serve and uh, function as a disciple, and they're not all going to come to the church that I serve. But I think that sense of mission has to grow in the congregation. Uh, I think part of our role of preaching is to keep identifying who is God calling this church to be, What's our vision for where God call is calling us to go? What are the practices by which we're shaping that? And uh, then how we allow some space around that mission for folks to um, to have different perspective. I mean, some are Florida fans and some are Georgia fans. <laughs> and you got to find something bigger than football to hold you together. That's true. That's true. Well, and finally, uh, on this topic, whether we are conservative or progressive or anywhere in the middle, we all have our own personal feelings, our own personal points of view, our belief systems, and uh, which can often lead us, even as preachers, into our own echo chambers and social media and the news we consume. Are, are there things that pastors could be doing or should be doing in our personal lives to help us process and maybe even express our personal feelings? so that the sermons don't become literally our bully pulpit for our own our own personal political perspectives? Absolutely. I think one is being in community with people within our congregation so that we hold ourselves accountable to them and they to us. And I was in a men's group uh, at Hyde Park that was, I was not the leader of the group. I was just one of the guys in the group. And uh, being with them every week, studying together, praying together, sharing together, really helped me stay centered. I think we can also do that with some preacher colleagues, with some pastoral colleagues, that we can share our dreams, our hopes, our frustrations, our hurts, and find healing for them in that setting so that we aren't using our preaching to try to work out our own stuff. I think there's a big difference in preaching between being personal, being vulnerable, being honest about who we are. I think sermons do need to have flesh on them, and so our flesh and blood have to be in them. But that's a different thing than doing our own therapy in the pulpit. True, Uh, true. It's different than trying to work out our own frustrations in preaching. So I think uh, sometimes a, a circle of friends, colleagues in ministry can be a place where we sort those things out so that we are clean instruments that the Spirit can use when we uh, come to preaching. Uh, and, and then to be good listeners, 
and to listen deeply to where people are coming from. Mm. And it helps to have some friends that you agree with politically and socially so that you can talk all that out <laughs> yeah. and, um, and not feel like you're uh, always pushing against the tide. That's true. That's true. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, do you have a favorite and or most challenging preaching experience? You can answer one, the other, or both. I think the most deeply challenging and also uh, the deeply meaningful is when I've been called to preach in a particular moment that is uh, filled with pain or with hope, and that my job is to put words around what the congregation, what we together are feeling, and to point toward hope. Uh, one of those would be the Sunday after 9-11 mm. was a monumental day for all of us who were preachers. And I still look back on that moment as one of the moments when I felt deeply led by the Spirit. I felt like I had a biblical word to offer. I felt like I was in touch with the pain that the congregation, the whole community was feeling, and that I offered a word of hope and direction that some people didn't like. And there were people who walked out the door that day and never came back again. Mm because I pointed toward some of Jesus' words about loving your enemy. Uh, so those kind of moments. I, I also thought of the best couple friend that my wife and I ever had died of a heart attack a couple of years ago, suddenly, unexpectedly. And when I, when I got to the house to be with the family, part of me was scared to death that they were going to ask me to preach. Mm. Because this relationship had meant so much to me and I to him. And yet, I knew that they were going to ask me to do it. And to preach in that moment, acknowledging my own loss and pain, but trying to do it in a way that lifted a word of uh, witness about uh, what the faith had meant in this guy's life, and to lift a word of hope and promise in the middle of that kind of pain was a, a gift that I would not trade for anything. Mm. So I think those are the kind of settings in which it seems to me that we who are preachers are given an amazing gift that very few people in this world are given, and that to um, to have the opportunity to proclaim the gospel in those moments is um, it's just beyond measure in terms of how significant it is, and to feel that God might be able to use us mm. in that. Who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life? Uh, for me, one uh, was Harry. Um, well, back in history, I've read a lot of Harry Emerson Fosdick. I still find his sermons, some of his sermons could be preached today. They'd have to be shorter than he preached them, but some of them 
could still be preached today. The same with William Sloan Coffin. I, I heard Coffin preach early in the years of my ministry, and I uh, read his sermons every week. I'd get them in the mail. Then, uh, you know, often for me, they have not been big-name preachers, but they've been preachers with whom I could identify. Mm. For many years, uh, he's been retired some time now, but for a number of years, I got uh, Mark Trotter's sermons when he was the preacher at First United Methodist in San Diego. I found Mark to be the kind of preacher who opened up Scripture in a way that helped me think in a in a fresh way. Uh, so he would be one. There there have been others along the way. Most of them, not big names, but people that I've uh, come across who helped me wrestle with preaching and who and also ones to feed me good stories. <laughs> yeah. I, just this morning, I was I was looking up, I think maybe you've heard me use the poem about the stubborn answers. I mean, I, it, it has become just part of my own life, and I've used it over and over and over again. And I remember this morning, that poem came to me because I listened to a sermon that Mark Trotter preached probably 25 years ago at least. Mm. And he used that poem in a sermon, and it hooked my attention, and I bought the book in which uh, it was published, and I've continued to use that. So you never know where a good gift is going to come from another preacher. That's right. And I think we always need to be looking for them and watching them. Well, are there any books or other resources that you would recommend our audience check out? Well, in terms of Bible study for preaching, I, the, the, the the series that I think I turned to more than anything else was the uh, Interpretation series mm-hmm. uh, published by um, John Knox. But they've done almost the entire Bible now. And the um, most of the time, those that was a series that I turned to for a lot of uh, help with my preaching. I've found some resources that were very helpful in terms of lectionary studies. The uh, the series of texts for preaching, one for every year. Uh, Walter Brueggemann did the Old Testament in two of them. When, when we were preaching the lectionary, that was sort of a basic biblical source for me. I do watch for people who tell great stories. I think, again, people need to hear stories. The gospel is a story, and stories always connect. But one of the books that we use in the Institute of Preaching is not by a preacher, but it's the most helpful practical resource I've found, Made to Stick, by uh, Chip and Dan Heath, is so practical and so helpful in terms of storytelling, how we engage a story, what makes a story stick, is uh, has become sort of a basic resource. We use it in the Institute of Preaching, and I've used it in my own life. I have found watching the TED Talks can be very helpful, because those folks have 18 minutes, 
and they have to speak clearly and communicate their content clearly. And I really think the TED Talks are um, pretty effective examples of uh, what we ought to be doing in preaching. So those would be a few. Awesome. And lastly, if there are folks out there that want to get in touch and say hi or follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I do uh, write an occasional blog at uh, the www.jimharnish.org, and uh, I'm always glad to welcome folks. Uh, it isn't as uh, carefully planned as when I was in the local church I wrote every week. This one is pretty much more when I get inspired or feel like I have something to say. Yeah. And uh, in light of our earlier conversation, I've used it pretty freely to speak about Donald Trump from what I think is a biblical standpoint. I, I just think we've got to look at our leaders through the eyes of our faith. And um, so I've, I've written numerous times about, um, about the impact that he seems to be having. Uh, but I also write about other things there. So that would, be, that would be a place. Sounds good. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Dan, it's great to talk with you. Always good to see you. I really uh, pray for the very best for your ministry and hope that uh, all of this is helpful to a few other preachers out there. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.